You're listening to Trial by Media, a behind-the-scenes true crime podcast. We'll lift the lid on crime and how it's covered, bringing you the biggest cases from Britain's courts. You've read the coverage. Here's the full story. Playing football, going to church, hooking up with a stranger. We never thought they would be against the law, and then one night in March, a new breed of criminals was born. We all know why they were brought in, but... How fair is it to take away someone's liberty or income because they went to a park? Carolina Haranskar will tell us about her experience in the trials around the two Corbins, Jeremy and Piers. And then we'll join with fellow crime journalists Cameron Charters and Sophia Derue to ask if anti-lockdown demonstrators should be treated the same as those from Black Lives Matter and whether the new laws violate our human rights. I'm your host, Charlie Jones. Hi Carolina, how are you? How it are feels you? I'm good. It feels good to be back. Have you been up to anything particularly revelationary or exciting? Any court cases that spring to mind this week? Uh well I think probably relevant to today's episode, I covered a case last week of a spitting oh, uh, fun. sentence, yes. Wonderful. And it was a man who spat at Jeremy Corbyn in May during the height of the lockdown. So he was in for This case, yeah, I heard about this one. Right. Yeah. And how was it? Well, he got sentenced to an 18-month community order. And what actually happened? Set the scene for us a bit. Well, Corbyn was cycling around North London near his home with his wife, Laura Alwedith. Very on brand. Yes, and um, he came to the corner of Seven Sisters Road and came close to this guy, uh, made a gesture with his hand indicating, oh, you can cross. Right. And the defendant, well, first of all, he started screaming at him and then Corbyn said there's no need for that foul language and then he got even more angered and then he spat at Corbyn, so um, unprovoked attack. And his defence was? He admitted that he, he spat at Corbyn. Did he say, like, you know, it's because your policies are... No, he's, he, he said he held no political views and there was no um, dislike for his political position. Sure. <laughs> I'm guessing Alvarez didn't, or Corbyn didn't turn up. No, no, definitely not. No. no. But you did see a Corbyn. I did quite see recently. a Corbyn, Quite yes. recently, segue. Um, <laughs> so... Um, Jeremy Corbyn's brother, Piers Corbyn, was convicted of breaking lockdown rules. And when when was he convicted of this? What what happened? Why was he arrested? He attended gatherings in May of over 100 people where supporters were protesting lockdown rules, among other issues like the rollout of 5G. And at the time, the coronavirus rules meant that people were not allowed to gather with more than two people. So he was clearly in breach of that. Now, police spotted the assembly and deployed a three-staged approach to explain, engage and encourage the crowd to disperse and as a last resort to enforce the law. The police said that the engagement phase had already been uh, done and Corbyn was not cooperating. He wouldn't put down his megaphone. He told one officer at one stage to not interrupt him. And, and does Corbyn agree with all of this, or is this just the police's side of it? Well, his defence was more that the interference was politically motivated and that they didn't take a measured approach. Corbyn claimed, and, and this was the crux of the matter, that his basic human rights had been violated. And this was because he wasn't being violent. He was not doing anything but exercise his basic human rights, give a speech at Speaker's Corner in Hyde Park. 
Corbyn pointed to the Black Lives Matter protest that took place in July during the COVID-19 pandemic. So when was when did this anti-lockdown protest happen? Well, it, they didn't class it as a, a protest. It was more of a gathering. They were quite pedantic with that. Uh, it happened in May. Why would they be pedantic that it's a gathering and not a protest? I think the idea of a protest is that you are kind of moving around a little bit more. There's more of you than a the simple gathering in Hyde Park around Speaker's Corner. Yeah, so oh, but obviously these happened before the Black Lives Matter. Yes, they did. That that is another point as well. You know, the Black Lives Matter protests happened in July, and at that point there had been a, an easing of restrictions. Right. So how did they then claim that they were being unfair? So okay, to set the scene, uh, when I was there, there was around eleven emphatic supporters. They were in the public gallery and arguing about anything and everything. You could hear them huffing and puffing throughout the hearing. Um, But turning to his actual defence, Corbyn was charged with two counts of breaking lockdown rules on two separate dates. His barrister, Ben Cooper QC, claimed his client was exercising his right to freedom of speech and of lawful public assembly on the 16th and 30th of May. Also, he claimed that Corbyn's arrest was politically motivated, therefore infringed on his human rights. And this was actually an interesting slant because, unfortunately for the police, the judge ruled that the police were wrong to charge Corbyn on the 30th of May date because of a technical error, which didn't look great on their part and vindicated the supporters at the back of the room. What was the technical error? The officer on the 30th of May issued a fixed penalty notice, uh, which is a fine of around £100. And this meant that they would have had to wait 28 days before charging Corbyn. And Corbyn was charged on the same day. Is that to give him time to pay the fine? Yeah, it's it's just a a part of the procedure. Mm. So it does, in a way, kind of play into his sort of politically motivated defence. Also, giving other protesters special treatment in his mind, supports the idea that there was political motivation in their reasoning and decision to interfere with Corbyn's gathering and not the Black Lives Matter protests as much. I mean, is that true, first of all? Did police interfere in Black Lives Matter protests? Because I thought I remember reading that they did a bit. There were some instances where videos of protesters pelting rocks at police and there was sort of some violent disturbances, but they were a minority. It was true that the Metropolitan Police did support in London the BLM protest support I say in in quotes because they tweeted about it but I think in that they were trying to encourage people that you know if you are going to attend these protests be careful wear PPE socially distance so I I mean in the coronavirus legislation there's obviously a it says you cannot be outside you cannot gather without a reasonable excuse has this court case solved the question of whether a protest is a reasonable excuse I don't think the reasonable excuse thing ever got resolved. It was what Corbyn's defence team was pointing at. That's one of the reasons why they were so pedantic about calling what he did a gathering and not a protest. Sounds more reasonable, you could argue. But Mm. although Corbyn was convicted, there was no punitive element. He was handed something called an absolute discharge, which is the legal equivalent of a slap on the wrist. So in convicting Corbyn, the judge favoured the coronavirus laws, but handing him an absolute discharge, you could argue, is not reaching um, a resolution. You know, if you're an anti-lockdown enthusiast and you're watching this, you'd think, well, this doesn't really dissuade me from attending another so-called gathering. 
Right. So what do you think the judge was trying to do there? Because, you know, obviously the judge does look at each case individually, but also in law, you know, each case sets a precedent. I think the judge opted for that sentence because um, Corbyn had already spent 12 hours um, in custody. So that outweighed any sentence he would have received anyway, because he would have received a fine. Yeah. So, of course, Corbyn rallied his supporters after the hearing and gave a big speech outside berating the court and uh, blasting the judge's decision because uh, it was a waste of public money. Although the judge found me guilty and didn't accept our arguments, he gave me an absolute discharge. This is unheard of in normal trials to be found guilty and given an absolute discharge. The first thing we can say about that is it's a complete waste of court time, three days, loads of very expensive uh, investigations, and yet I get an absolute discharge. What was the point of all this then? So we had, they did this in July. They had the they had multiple trials going from what November, December. They had they had to come to court all the time, loads of times. All of the supporters come to court. All of these QCs are hired. Judges' rooms are booked out, and we've got a massive court backlog. And then, what? Nothing's really decided. They say, "Well, it is technically against the law, but we're not going to punish you." That was was that was that worth it? <laughs> That's the big question. Now, welcome to our regular crime journalists, editor Cameron Charters and reporter Sophia Daru. Sophia, is it right for police, for government and for the courts to let Black Lives Matter protesters demonstrate, but not Piers Corbyn and anti-lockdowners? Well, I think this has this answer has two uh, aspects to it. One of it is that Piers Corbyn obviously demonstrated in May when we were at the height of the first lockdown and Black Lives Matter protests happened later when there were fewer restrictions. And also I should point out that generally people who attended BLM protests did for the most part wear PPE, whereas the, um, you know, 5G gives you COVID, Bill Gates has um, microchips in the vaccine crowd, obviously are not going to. On the other hand, you could argue that there's an element of protest when you feel it's an existential threat. From the point of view of those, anti-lockdown enthusiasts, I can see how they would feel that this has been unfairly applied to them. So I guess there's two issues here. And the first one is one of the protests is more health and safety conscious than the other one. Um, And the second one is that one's got a more legitimate aim of protesting. Is that what you think? Yeah, I mean, um, I'm just looking at it from just to get away from the UK a little bit, I'm from Greece and currently the current uh, right wing government is trying to use the pandemic as an excuse to basically crack down on student rights to protest, put police in the universities, which is a massive no no. So I think I'm very much in favor of any measures that protect public health, but we should be careful that there is still a fundamental right to protest and there is still a fundamental right to call out injustice. So do you think it was wrong for Piers Corbyn to have been to face prosecution? No, I don't. Conspiracy theorists are very dangerous, especially during a global pandemic. While you can't exactly prosecute thought crime, there is the argument that free speech stops when you yell fire in a crowded theatre. But then who decides which protest is a responsible protest and who decides which protest is an irresponsible protest? And feel free to Carolina Cameron to come in on this. I think these gatherings were characterised as anti-lockdown. 
so I think what needs to be looked at is, is there a fair and just application uh, of the law? And arguably shutting down this protest was necessary. Right. But I guess legally, once you have given tacit consent to one protest, I do see the point that it's then difficult to charge the anti-lockdown people, even if you don't like what they're suggesting. You know, as, as a government, you can't decide that one thing is worthy of protest and one isn't, even if me and you might completely agree that the correct one was allowed to go ahead and the, that one wasn't. Where do you stand on that? It is a tricky one because if you're going to pick and choose which protest you interfere with, then as Corbyn said, you are taking a politically motivated stance. The European Convention on Human Rights, which is binding in the UK, uh, says the public bodies must respect freedom of expression and uh, freedom to assemble. Uh, But those two rights are not absolute. So the government, the police or another public body can actually interfere with them. So it's just about respecting that those rights exist rather than saying those rights trump everything all the time. It's a balancing exercise. Mm. So would dispersing this protest be reasonable, proportionate and, of course, legal? Um, Well, in this case, the police felt that it was. Cameron? I suppose the question which occurs to me is what is the purpose of the legislation? And if you curtail freedom of speech, you often prevent the society from finding a solution. There's very few developments in the history of mankind which have come about without conflict of opinion. So if you have a powerful organisation such as a state which is capable of preventing uh, dissent, you, as history has shown, pretty much prevent any possibility of there being a resolution to the problem. So in this, for example, those who are attempting to find a vaccine for this virus will have differing views, which they are allowed to express. No one suggests they shouldn't be allowed to do that. And it's a, it's a similar, similar line of thought, which occurs to me, though, of course, except the circumstances are different. So we heard Carolina talk about Corbyn coming in and coming out of court for months only for sort of him to get a slap on the wrist. And I was sort of wondering during that, well, you know, what's the point? You know, we've got a huge court backlog. You know, I'm not mocking, I'm genuinely asking, you know, has anything been clarified? But I guess, Cameron, if you're saying that, you know, this is this is the right process, this is what needs to happen for to balance out the power of the state, then has anything been balanced out with this case? Have we learned anything? What was what was the point of this this palaver? Is a protest a reasonable excuse to leave your home? Well, I suppose it begins with looking at the question: How have we got to a stage where we need a reasonable excuse to leave our homes? And then, if you look at it from that point of view, rather than presuming that the right is on the side of the uh, legislator, you work from the basis that we always had the right to leave our home. It should be rather the other way around. What gives the state the right to prevent people from leaving their home? You have to also look at the punitive uh, measures put in place uh, when you are convicted uh, of breaching the coronavirus laws, and they are a fine. It's not, you don't get incarcerated, you don't get a big sentence. So I think the idea of the state interfering in, with our rights isn't, it goes to a certain degree because, you know, you, you don't really get a, a huge punishment from it. So is it really violating our human rights, uh, freedom of speech and so forth, if, if really the only thing you're getting from, from this is, is, is a fine? Sophia? I would say that the fine as it is applied is absolutely unjust. So you have the most recent 
800 pound, I believe, fine for having a party. That's not going to affect people in Chelsea the same way as it's going to affect people in Camberwell. I personally, if I was passing the laws, I would have the model that some Scandinavian countries have of a fine as a percentage of your income rather than a fixed fine. So if you're Mr. Big Bucks living in Chelsea or Knightsbridge, you should be getting you should basically be getting a fine that reflects your income, not a fixed fine for everyone. And generally, Cameron, how fair do you think it is to punish people for activities which have never been illegal before and then suddenly overnight there's a whole raft of new criminal offences which you can commit which had never been illegal? I suppose at the point of fairness, there's generally a principle that if you you aren't prosecuted retrospectively, and what I mean by that is, is if you if you commit an act in the 1970s which wasn't illegal, but by the year 2010 it was illegal, you were usually, I think, judged by the standards of, of uh, your time. Carolina? I think, you know, if, if it's suddenly unfair, quote, unfair to start uh, punishing people for activities that have never been illegal before, then you're not taking into consideration that laws do have to change depending on the circumstances that we find ourselves in. And uh, the pandemic is, is a clear example of that. Sophia? Well, it is a law that has been passed very quickly, but I'd like to point out that there have been new laws introduced which made things that were perfectly legal before illegal. Most recently, uh, the upskirting law. This is an extraordinary situation which required acting fast and I would say the legislation and the guidance is actually quite weak because it leaves so much to the interpretation of police officers and it's not very clear but while I actually agree with those laws they are extraordinary but we are living in an extraordinary time I do think the application has been very much a question of a postcode lottery and whether you look like someone the police will be interested in the first place. That's why people who are homeless have been targeted. That's why people have been caught while they were sometimes committing another offense. I don't think they're fairly applied and it depends on the circumstances of the person committing the the breach and also sometimes just the police force and what approach they have taken. So I, I absolutely do not think they've been fairly applied across the board. And that's it for this episode. This is Trial by Media. You've heard from Sophia Daru, Carolina Haranskar, who also produced this episode, and Cameron Charters. Please do subscribe, leave us a rating, chuck us a review, drag us up, book the wrong four seasons and catch us in an orgy with a far-right Hungarian MP. It really does help us out. I'm your host, Charlie Jones. See you next time.